Hey, welcome to the Geek Down. Um, I'm Shayna, and this is just Johnny. We are unfortunately without our regular co-host Pat B, and we're just winging. But we have we have reviews. For we today. do have yeah. reviews. We we have a review for um Beyonce's Homecoming um film that came out on Netflix yesterday. Um. So so, is there anything else you'll be reviewing? Nope, those are my big things this week. Okay, so for me, I'll be uh, I'll be reviewing uh, two games. One is uh, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, and the other one is uh, Resident Evil 2: The Remake that came out earlier this year. So I'll be reviewing those two games. So, so Resident Evil 2, I'll open up with that one. Uh, so this is a remake of a very old game that came out in what like the late 90s 98 or something like that right around there yeah uh for the original playstation and uh capcom right yeah capcom has uh remade a bunch of these games uh in this franchise they've remade uh resident evil for not not like a full remake but they've brought brought it to like hd versions and stuff like that uh for this game so and uh capcom has remade resident evil 1 that's probably one of the best remakes out there where they went uh full-blown everything uh they they redid all the graphics all the audio they even inserted a whole bunch of uh, uh full motion video animated backgrounds to like really enhance uh the original they put that on gamecube and it's uh, it was considered one of the best remakes uh, for probably about 15 years. It was just one of the best done ones, and they, they sort of helped streamline some of the gameplay mechanics and stuff like that. And for this one, Resident Evil 2, they pretty much did just that, uh, but they took it up. Uh, they took it up, you know, a few notches because you know better hardware, better capabilities. So all the environment. No longer pre-rendered graphics or anything like that. It's all fully 3D, fully immersive. Uh, immersive. They changed the camera angle in the original Resident Evil 2. All the camera angles were uh, sort of cuts from, as if the the cameras were statically uh, placed in certain locations for the scene, and that's how they rendered things out. Uh, and the camera would not move. Uh, I think it might have done in a couple instances some very basic panning through the environment to follow the character, but that was it. There was no angle changing or anything like that. Uh, in this, the camera is directly behind your shoulder. So it's yep, so it's following you uh, and it's uh, the Resident Evil 4 camera style system. And it really is nice and close to you so that way uh, you can't see you can't fully see what is around the corner. You really do have to get close and expose your character uh, as you're taking corners and turning around uh, these uh, these labyrinth-like environments. Uh, so that helps just with Resident Evil 4. It really helps with uh, creating tenseness uh, for the player because they can't fully see what's coming around the corner as well as the controls themselves the character is a bit slower uh the that camera angle sort of forces the player to sort of ha still have that tank style controls where you have to push forward to move forward and then if you uh turn left or right you have to put the control stick all the way in those directions 
and moving backward, you actually step backwards. You have to do uh, a, a couple of button combinations in order to do a, a full quick reversal, but even then it's not super quick. So even the movement of your character is a bit uh, slower and nuanced, and that's all to make it for the player feel like they are more vulnerable and not as capable navigating around these zombies, which are very slow in this game. So overall, it's definitely improved the gameplay. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's just like how the gameplay improved dramatically, but in a very fundamentally different way. When the series went from Resident Evil Three or Resident Evil Code Veronica or Nemesis, whichever one was the last one before it hit four, uh, but in four they also leaned very heavily towards action and making it more of an action-style game. It still had some scary moments, but it wasn't about the horror. It was more about the action, and the horror was more so... It leaned more towards thriller uh, type of vibes where you felt vulnerable and you had to worry about things. Yeah, that, like, tension that you feel yeah. like in like a straight-up horror movie when you're like, oh, what's going on behind the corner kind of situation. Is there something going to jump out at me, or is it just... Or am I safe? That feeling of unease. Yeah, and and they leaned. Uh, so they have the Resident Evil 4 camera style system, but they did not uh, incorporate the Resident Evil 4 sort of action-oriented gameplay. Uh, and there's a whole lot of stuff that they did to avoid that, and they still kept that horror down, uh, true to its roots uh, style game where you have very limited ammunition, you have very limited ways of defending yourself. Even though these zombies are small, you know, sure, one of them is you can kind of deal with, but if there's two in a room, just two, you are going to struggle and you're going to be a bit worried. And, and the way that they change how these zombies sort of move and animate and how they uh, go at you. And also, there, there's a few different uh, types of creatures and things like that. Like all the other, like, mutated beings that pop up. And I'll, I'll be fair. Resident Evil does have, um, the only real The only zombie-based game I really remember having, like, a lot of those was Last of Us. But I always thought that was interesting to see in those kind of games. Like, okay, if there was a virus that made everybody into zombies, would it affect other living creatures? Well, yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. And and uh, so one of the key things that that they do to sort of make this more of a horror game than a action thriller survival like Resident Evil 4 is enemies do not drop ammunition. And that's what really made Resident Evil 4 m lean way more towards uh, the action elements, is that uh, it constantly gave you, not all the time, but enemies would sometimes drop ammunition or herbs to sort of keep you, sort of, you, you did have to worry about your, how much, how many bullets you were using and things like that, and make sure that your health was in, uh, was stocked, but you didn't have to worry about it too much. In this one, that's not the case. This one you are always cutting it very, very close as to how many bullets you have left or how many shotgun shells or grenades. So a lot more strategy involved. Yes, yes. It's strategy. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of the decisions that you make in this game is based on 
whether you should or shouldn't kill a particular zombie that's in a particular hallway or a particular room because that's going to use up quite a bit of, of resources that may be needed to do a boss fight or, or a bigger room or even a smaller room but with more zombies in it. Uh, and a lot of that, a lot of that decision making ties around how many times are you going to revisit this particular area. And if it's going to be an area that you're going to re revisit a whole lot, maybe you should clear it out. Uh, if it isn't something that you're going to worry about too much, if it's uh, an area that you think you're only going to visit once or maybe twice, maybe you can leave uh, that those one or two zombies there uh, and just avoid them and never waste your resources on them. And one of the resources is, uh, one of the many is you have a knife, a combat knife. And this common knife is very uh, interesting in that if a zombie goes to attack you, you can use the combat knife as sort of like a get out of getting bitten for free card. However, that combat knife is now stuck on that zombie, and the only way to recover it is by killing the zombie. So it's, it, it, it sort of uh, incentivizes you to kill them but also not kill them and if you do kill them try to kill them in a very efficient way uh there are other types of weapons that you get that can give you this sort of escape um but unlike the knife uh they're one-time use so you can get like grenades that you can use to sort of escape these grapple holds but those are one-time use yeah yeah uh and other things Obviously, the graphical uh, elements and the audio elements to this game have been cranked up to, you know, 10. It's Everything looks beautiful. The lighting is incredible, and they play very heavily on the lighting. This is one of the most lighting-focused games out there because the uh, a lot of these rooms are going to be pitch black, and you won't be able to see anything, but you start off with a flashlight, and... What you see is only what that flashlight is, the radius of the flashlight cone is going to give you. So, and you can hear things that are shuffling about. Enormously like, creepy. Like, that's just. Yeah, no, I, I could not play this game by myself in my house in the dark. That's not the thing. That, but that is the thing for, for <laughs> these types of games. Uh, you, you can, even when playing with uh, the lights on, there have been times where I like jumped and got and got spooked just a little bit just because something, some, you know, yeah, some noise or, or some, you know, dog with decayed flesh like pops out of somewhere. Uh, it, it was just, uh, it was, it was one section where there's, it's the kennel uh, inside the, the police station and uh there's a bunch of dogs, but they're all locked up in their cages. And I knew, I knew that they're going to come out. So I just took it upon myself to just clear them out now uh, and not run by it. Because they weren't coming after me. They were inside their cage. But I knew that those cages were going to open up. And lo and behold, yeah, lo and behold, they did open up. But those dogs, I killed them all ahead of time, made sure that they were taken care of. Uh, so there's, there's a, a bunch of other things that they do in this game. But... I think the the best part about it is if you this is a game that you don't have to play the original. It is a full blown experience that doesn't require you to play the first Resident Evil or Resident Evil Zero or three or four or, or seven uh, that they're up to. Uh, you can kind of play this from start to finish 
all in one go. It doesn't, it will give you details as you play through as to what is going on and what is happening uh, storyline wise, but it will start you off with you're driving into Raccoon City and all of a sudden there are zombies. Uh, and, and the further in you go, the more there are going to be until you, now you're, you're in the middle of, uh, of the streets that are completely full with zombies and you have to sort of, uh, find your way to survive and get into the police station. That's, that's the very beginning, like, like 10 minutes of the game. So there's no spoils there. Uh, and that, even though it throws you into the thick of things when it comes to zombies, it does eventually explain uh, why there are zombies, and so going at it from if you were a newcomer to the franchise, this is a great starting point. Uh, uh, you don't even need to play the first Resident Evil or even Resident Evil Zero uh, to sort of understand and get a grasp as to what's happening. Video games to me seem like the most solid investment in that, just because because technology just keeps like leapfrogging ahead and will have and systems that have so much better capabilities like there's some really classic games that be it because of a couple flaws maybe aren't as good as they could have been but really have like really great potential and, and they already have the like bare roots of it they just need to update it a bit and this sounds like this is a good update from what it was so yeah i think it's a really good thought process um for like i'm loving to see more and more developers going back and taking some of the really good games that could just use a bit of an update and bringing them back for like newer gamers as well as like the gamers who've been around for a while yeah absolutely this is this is the new standard of how to take a very old game uh and still be the that original game but then bring it up to modern day standards, modern day practices, modern day gameplay mechanics, controls, things like that. This is this is a top to bottom excellent, excellent execution. Uh, and overall, I give this game a thumbs up. Very well done. Highly recommend it. It's definitely worth the price of admission. Uh, so there's that. Or do you wanna? That was the review for Resident Evil 2. Uh, I played it on PS4. It's also available on Xbox One and on PC. PC is probably the best place to play it. Um, but playing it on, and I was playing on the original PlayStation 4, not not the PlayStation 4 Pro. So uh, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't notice anything that got in the way of enjoying the game, other than that PS4. Man, when those that game caused the fan to just speed up. So as I'm playing, I hear the fan going. working so hard all of a sudden just your system's just working overtime and it's okay it works out as long, yeah. as, it, as, long as it can vent yeah, it, it it worked so it, it didn't didn't get in the way of things but just other than the sound but it was good right, so what do you want to go over now uh, let's see okay since we did the game review i'm going to say my piece about this, this hellboy situation I will say what I like about the creation of this movie and what I didn't like about the creation of this movie. Um, first of all, I, I really thought it was too soon to make a reboot. And this is this is what I feel like is a problem why people aren't seeing this movie. And that is the problem. People aren't really seeing it. I wasn't excited to see it. Um, I saw like a little bit, I saw the beginning and that was probably as far as I got um, into the coffee I was watching. and. I really just didn't feel the need to keep going. And besides I was having problems with it, um, didn't help. But 
yeah, no, I, there's no push to see this movie, and there doesn't seem to be a push from even the fans to see this movie. Maybe it's too soon after Del Toro did his movies, and he's such a respected director, and he's so visually arresting on yeah. um, his films. Just like, I don't, you don't even need to see a whole one of his movies. Just seeing a couple scenes is enough to leave an impression of what he's capable of. Um, so, and the only reason we don't have Ron Perlman in this movie, because it was supposed to be a sequel, um, for the last movie, um, The Golden Army, and what happened was Del Toro was not given a writer's credit for this one. Um, they weren't willing to get let him um, be, have creative input the way he had in the previous movies. And when he wasn't getting creative input, Ron Perlman was like, well, if he's not going to get it, I'm not going to play it. And so then he walked. Uh, so once Del was gone, he was gone, and once Ron Perlman was gone, it was going to be way harder to get any of the original cast members, and it didn't really. Um, so that's how it became an entire reboot, opposed to the sequel that everyone was looking forward to seeing. So, first of all, people didn't get what they wanted, and that's enough. This cranking it to an R rating versus the PG-13... We were talking about this before the show, that PG-13 ratings don't matter. So saying that R means anything, it doesn't. It, it, oh, we can swear some more. Great. It's not what I needed for Hellboy, and nor did I need the extra gore that they added. So no, I didn't run to see this movie. I'll be real. Anybody wants to see this movie, wait till it comes out on DVD. Like, wait for the Blu-ray. Stream it when it hits the things, because it... I doubt it's going to be in the theaters that much long. It's not going to have a long run in the theaters. So if you're not going to see it, like, right now, don't worry about it. Wait for it to come out on Blu-ray, because that's as much as you need to expect from this movie. Yeah. Like, just save your money. Let it just be part of your package deal with Hulu or Netflix or wherever they put it. I don't think this movie was what it was supposed to be, and so I don't... I, I can't in good conscience be like, yay! Um, I totally want to see it, because I don't. Um... <laughs> But I will say, I liked one thing. Um, one of the main characters is played by um, Daniel Dakin. And that role was originally offered to, oh, God, what's his name? Ooh, dude who played Francis in Deadpool. Because I always have trouble with his last name. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. I in know. my head, I can't even confuse with Nicholas Holt, and I know that's not who he is. <laughs> They're just a little similar look. But he has one of those very ethnic last names, and I'm like, mm, I'm not going there. He was actually originally offered that role that Dan Daniel Day Kim played, and when he realized that the role was played by a Japanese-American in the comics, he stepped down. He was like, nope, you should probably hire an Asian person. So good on him for not getting caught in that Emma Stone trap. <laughs> because honestly, I wish more actors would do that when they know a character is normally represented as a different background look not to be a hater but yo white actors y'all have plenty of roles like so many um minority actors don't get as many please don't take their roles and i'm glad that he didn't take this role especially for representing characters that fit a particular ethnicity because there's just way more white-faced characters in across the board in in movies comics gaming it's just the very few uh, sort of colored 
characters and, and diverse characters that are out there. They're just let them be played by by the proper representation. Yeah, like let everybody get a chance to be seen. That's all. Just everybody wants to be seen. We all want to see ourselves in the things we watch. Like if you were watching something and they did not include one dude ever, you'd be like, man, just one dude, please. Well, I mean, because everybody wants to see themselves at some point. Or at least a character they can relate to. And even if it's not physically, you still want something. You want to see yourself in your media at least a little bit. And when you're offered a lot of it, then it's really comfortable and really easy to bounce from other things. But when you never see it, it gets, you become way more aware that it's not there. Well, to me, it depends on the person. Different people will have their own uh, interests for for what types of uh, characters and and representation that they see in entertainment. And uh, just by not including that, you're you're limiting those types of people with with different perspectives and different mindsets, right? Uh, For me, like, uh, I love villains, and I don't care who, who the villain is or looks like, I just love villains and and having a nice well-defined villain and if that's there then you have me yeah. uh so that that's what i look forward to but other people might want to look for characters that they directly relate to so it it really depends on a person but why shut the door uh why not just try to try to have uh try to have something for everyone unless it gets in the way of artistic vision i think the biggest thing is that people get wrong about that sense of reality of grounding something like yeah totally we like to ground even our fantastical stories we like to ground them in some sense of reality that our brain recognizes right so if if you set something in a let's say you said and this was funny i realized this the other day um like think of, this, think of the show like friends it's set in new york city now it's a somewhat fictionalized new york city but it's still supposed to be the new york we recognize you know what I realized in the entirety of that show? I don't remember seeing any minorities, like, ever. Like, not in the background, with the exception of the two minority women that Ross dates throughout the show. There are no minorities. I was like, but New York is so densely populated. How is it possible that you have a New York with no minorities? That's weird. And it's a very diverse population <laughs> at that. Like, it's New York yeah, City. So, like, once you notice something like that in the background, it takes you out of it. It's yeah. just like, well, that wouldn't be how New York, you know? Like, yeah. it's that yeah. bell in the head that goes, hmm, something not quite what I expect. That's, that's Hollywood and, and... Yeah, it's the, it's the assumption of the default. Yeah. Which is silly. But yeah, it, it gets caught up. So I'm glad that this actor was, you know, kind about it. He was like, you know what? I don't want to steal somebody's opportunity. And I like when people think that way. Like, they'll know there will be another role for them. They know there's, there's more out there for them. So they're like, hmm, why take someone else's opportunity? Also, there's, you know, just... The internet and uh, the stronger voice that's given to fans. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that goes in both ways. Like, uh, if you do take up the role, you're going to get lots of negative feedback. But if you turn down the role, you get the positive side of having these fans with a stronger voice. They're now going to sort of echo and praise, you know, your decision making. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So, so great appreciation. I have no real faith that the movie is really good. There are some really good actors in it, like Ian Shane's in it, like Daniel Day Kim's in it. There are a lot of really great actors. 
Um, I was going to say Melina Malkovich, but I'm like, She's not really a great actor. She's a really good action star. Yep. But she's not really a great actor. She's she's one of those actors that uh fits a yep, fits a particular role and, and that she uh what was it, type typecast Yeah. There you go. Yeah, like essentially since um oh god. Fifth element. Yeah. She has been the mysterious action chick. And that works for her. If that's the only role she plays, that's okay, she does it well. Getting those paychecks. Also, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, "That chick looks familiar." And I realized she plays the villain of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the so my only tidbit with uh, Hellboy is that it looked like there was a smaller marketing effort than Venom. Yeah, like <laughs> for for something that should. I mean, just given the high that uh, that Marvel's at right now, you think that they would have really yeah. like cranked up the um the PR for this, yeah. but I don't really remember any advertising. Yeah, and I don't, I, like okay, maybe like a couple weeks ago I saw a trailer and that was all. That, that was it. It was it was just just like a week or two leading up to the release and that was it and and the original movies were actually really good uh or good enough to warrant like a bigger a bigger presence and i just didn't feel it yeah like it's to me it shows the studio doesn't have faith in the project like if you're not pushing it that hard considering this is the age of comic book movies and here you are with a pretty well-loved comic book um character you're rebooting the franchise, which we're already dubious about, but you're not even really pushing to make us want to see it, which troubles me. Like, I'm like, this seems like it should have been a January release because nobody seems to care. Well, <laughs> onto something like, that something happier. Yeah, onto something that we may or may not care about. Uh, okay, well, let's change it up. Yeah, well, the last thing we have to review, well, at least that I had to review this week, um, was Beyonce's Homecoming film. Yeah. And if anybody saw, anybody out there, if you saw Baychella last year, I mean, that was an epic show. Like, I can't even say it wasn't. If, even if I didn't care anything about Beyonce, the show was epic. Like, the showmanship, it was just there. Like she went out there, left it on the floor, and I thought it was the coolest thing that it was modeled after so, Homecoming. So was again. it a was that a live performance? Mm-hmm. And was that something that was like a one off thing? It wasn't part of the yeah, tour. Yeah, she was um she was the headliner for Coachella that last year, oh. and she was the first black woman to be the headliner of Coachella, and everybody started jokingly calling it Beachella. Um, but it was fitting. She shut it down. Like, she took, oh, she did a two-hour performance. Wow. That is, that is some stamina for your... <laughs> yeah, that, that's intense, given the amount of choreography that goes oh into that. Oh, my gosh. It was, it, I, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Homecoming Weekend at a black college. It is one of the most lit things on earth. Like, the excitement, the pageantry, it's crazy. Um, and she really created that for this show. Um, the documentary was really fascinating, um, just dripping in black culture, and especially black educational culture. Um, there were all these wonderful quotes and um, 
in the background from people like Mia Simone and Maya Angelou and it was just <laughs> oh my god it's like look when I say dripping in black culture like there should have been a black puddle underneath me while I watched it so so was this a you said documentary was this uh was this a documentary film well, or? that's the thing it is because it definitely has um behind the scenes moments um in behind uh behind the scenes footage of her and her family and just getting ready and the long process and when I say the long process she was planning this for like somewhere around eight months in advance like once she was um when she got the headliner position mm -hmm. there was and is this this ties into the Coachella mm -hmm. okay all right. yeah because the documentary is about the Coachella performance ah, so okay. it's documenting the entire like her getting ready and it also it doubles as kind of a concert video um, because they show pretty much the entire performance. Um, edit it down a little bit, but um, not by a lot because the documentary is still two hours and 17 minutes. I was like, whoa, when I turned it off. But by the time you get to the end, you're into it, and it, it goes by. Like, the last half hour went by so fast. Um, but it was just she went in. Like, all, oh, like, the planning. Like, I don't think you ever think about when you go to a show just how much planning there is in it. And you get to see all of that in, a, in her own voice telling you what she went what she go, went through to plan this, what she sacrificed. She had started um, the rehearsals for this right after she had her emergency C-section to have her kid, her twins um, the other year. Um, and that in of itself, like, as a woman, I've had two children and... And I had them the regular way, and I was tired and sore and beaten up feeling, like, for a good two weeks afterwards. So the fact that she, shortly thereafter, was in planning mode and getting to work, I'm like, good on you. <laughs> but it was, it was, like, a really, really awesome show. And I really, 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 and I know I'm using the word really a lot, but <laughs> I really think um, people should watch this documentary. It like, if you care anything about um, Beyonce, watch it. If you care anything about how a good show is made, definitely watch it. If you care about black culture, if you want to be a little more educated about yourself as a black person, totally watch it. Like, there's so much in there um, that you can take. And, like, by the time it got to the end, I was getting kind of emotional. And I was just like, there was this beautiful um, audio clip of Maya Angelou. She played over on... Um, the end from um, one of the last segments and it was talking about um how we should see ourselves as a people and to um be very present-minded but don't forget where you came from essentially like don't forget the past the past was important and you should always remember the things that came before but be here be now and make your life here and now like the best it can be and make sure you're contributing to the world your community around you like Think, be mindful that you leave your space better than when you arrive to it. And I'm like, oh, that's really beautiful. And because it was putting in that Beyonce was also trying to do that. Like she wanted to do something that was big. And it kind of makes me think about like after Coachella was over last year, there were a lot, there was some serious hater raid that went around. Like a lot of people going, oh, Beyonce is overrated, whatever Beyonce. And it was like a big rejection of like all this black culture on stage from some people most people loved it because it, 
was awesome. Um, can't even pretend like it wasn't awesome. It was. Um, but when every time she, she's never hidden the fact that she is proud to be black, and I appreciate it because you don't get too much of that. Um, no matter how many black artists, there's always only a handful who give that kind of message to their own fans. And every time she's made a big statement about her blackness there's always been a little bit of backlash but i do like that the overarching voice has always been accepting and love and oh man this made me feel like this had like black girl magic sparking out my head like it was wonderful <laughs> so yeah totally watch it watch watch homecoming get the live album i haven't heard a live album this good in a while so definitely thumbs up um man that was yeah that was an enjoyable way to spend two hours and 17 minutes yeah, sounds sounds good, and it sounds like the message in it was really good, very oh, very positive. Yeah, nothing nothing like a good message to be present and stay in the present uh, and enjoy the present time. So uh, I guess we'll move on to our last review for the day. Uh, it's it's going to be another game review for Sekiro or or Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Oh, is that so? Uh, S E K I R O. And from what I, from what I heard, uh, you're supposed to sort of pronounce Japanese words in two two letter syllables. Mm -hmm. So, Sekiro, something like that. But either yeah, way, yeah, I yeah. About her, but yeah. I do not speak Japanese. Yeah, and neither do I. So uh, this game is comes from from software. Uh, they're the developers behind Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne. This is their next game. They are they are very very hard. They definitely uh, test your patience, and that's why that's what I love about these games. I've I've played and beaten all of them. Uh, and this is the latest one. It's the start of another new franchise. So this would be the fourth intellectual property in that lineup. Uh, and it's uh, it's very recent. It came out uh, right around about a month ago. And this one takes place in... It's a bit more grounded. It's not as fantastical as the other ones. This one takes place in sort of feudal, semi-fantasy feudal Japan. Uh, in the middle of just very... Yep recent like because before i wasn't it like super ancient dark tiny kind of feel to it like yeah uh the so dark souls is very medieval dark times lots of fantasy yeah, big giant creatures he played like my husband played that one a lot and i watched him die countless times and i'm like why are you playing this ridiculously hard <laughs> i've just watched so many people fail so hard at dark Souls. but it's it's when you succeed that's it. Just feels so good when that happens. Yeah. And uh, and this one, feudal Japan. So there is, um, they do. There are guns in this one. Um, not not in heavy copious amounts, but there's plenty of firearm using uh, enemies and and yeah, rifling and cannons and uh, and fireworks uh, and stuff like that. Um, so there's that, and then there are some instances of fantasy elements. Uh, but the character you're playing as has his arm, this is in the very beginning of the game, no spoilers. He has his arm chopped off and replaced with a prosthetic arm. 
and this prosthetic arm is uh, a, a shinobi tool uh, where it kind of has socketed in it different types of tools, shinobi, shinobi prosthetic tools. Uh, one is like an axe, another one is a spear, or you can get these fireworks, or you can get like this flame vent thing, or shuriken, yeah, or, or, or like a big giant um, hat, um, shield hat thing. It's like that, that, that hat that's, that I think it's like a bamboo hat, it's like a cone, circular cone almost, and it's very big, uh, wear on your head, but they have that, <clears throat> pops out of your arm and use it as a shield because it's made out of iron. Yeah, uh, so there's some uh, plenty of fantasy elements in it, but just dialed back from the other iterations, and uh, that's that's one difference. But probably the biggest difference in this game is that the combat and the feel of this game is drastically different from all the other games. One of the biggest changes, or two of the big changes, is that you have a jump button, like a legitimate jump button. You can actually jump and then jump again if you're up against the wall. So you can wall jump in this game. You can jump, you, when you do jump, it is really high. Uh, jumping is actually uh, incorporated into the combat mechanics. So it's not just there for the sake of uh, tr environmental traversal. It's there for other reasons as well. And then the other one is you have uh, your prosthetic arm has a rope grappling hook attached to it. So you can use it to get around the environment but the, uh, uh, because the environment will have speckled around it uh, different grappling points that you can latch onto and then sort of reel your character on onto it. And it really makes the game and how you go through these uh, feudal Japan environments uh, quicker, but also the design of the levels are more vertical because now you can actually go up and down these levels without having to worry too much. Uh, you don't have to worry too much about fall uh, fall damage and the act of actually going up uh, vertically or down or, or traversing big giant gaps is uh, is much is much faster because you're zipping you're you're literally ziplining through the environment in order to do these things. So it's it's traversal-wise, it's a much faster game. It's it's the fastest of the games that they put out there. And when it comes to combat, it incorporates this extra movement and mobility, and also has uh, a more a faster-paced combat system to it, uh, almost at the level of Bloodborne uh, regarding its speediness. But it doesn't lean so heavily on the dodging system of Bloodborne which was part of what made Bloodborne so fast-paced in its combat. Instead, it, um, it plays out, the combat of this game plays out more like a, uh, a duel, a, a sword-fighting duel, where it's not about landing uh, as many cuts and hits to the enemy. It's more about breaking their posture uh, by deflecting and dodging their attacks uh, and getting in whatever blows you can, but it's all about breaking their posture, and once you break their posture, they are exposed, and you go in for a one-hit kill. And the entire, uh, in the entire game, you'll have enemies that are just one one-hit kill, uh, and in the best, some of the best ways and fastest ways to go about doing that is to go through the stealth mechanics, because this is, you are a shinobi, you are a ninja, you are stealthing through these environments if you want to, and you're strongly encouraged to do so because it is a hard game, and being able to kill an enemy 
in one shot uh, without them noticing you versus going into this longer, hard-fought duel, well, it's definitely better to just kill them, especially uh, when there's multiple enemies in a room. If you can just uh, stealthily kill off one or two of them instead of having to fight all two or three or four of them at the same time, you're in for you're in for success rather than for failure. Um, so, so yeah, the combat system is both quicker but also a bit slower uh, because of this. Uh, a lot of what you are doing is you are waiting for the enemy to attack because if you attack the enemy, depending on the enemy that you're attacking, they're going to block and deflect your attacks, and nothing will kind of get done. You will you will play around, break, start to whittle away at their posture, but you're not dealing any damage to them. Uh, and the same for them is you you are trying to get the enemy to attack you so that you can block and deflect their attacks correctly in order to break their posture. But by doing so, the less on point you are with your deflections, the more of your posture gets broken. So it's sort of a back and forth uh, dance, uh, dueling dance, if you will, uh, between these two sword fighters uh, until finally the posture of either your posture or their posture is broken, and then at that point it's just a one-hit kill, and and you move on to the next target. So this is a straight-up skills game, then. You have to have, like, well-thought-up strategy and skill. Yeah. It's definitely not a hack-and-slash situation. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah, it, it's not a hack-and-slash game, and, and that goes with, with the territory of the From Software games, is that they want you to develop a skill set or whatever type of combat mechanic that's going to really shine on that. Uh, with the Dark Souls games, it was all about the shield, not so much on the dodging, but being able to block the attacks, and the parry system in there, and then also sort of uh, positioning in order to land the backstabs. Uh, Bloodborne, it's more about the dodging and uh, the uh, parrying as well, but parrying with your gun, um, and that was, uh, that was that game, not so much on blocking. In this game, it's about blocking, but blocking is actually not a good thing because it really affects your posture in a bad way. It's more so deflecting, which is kind of like parrying, but you're deflecting over and over and over again. So it really hammers home like how often you, you have to be on point with your deflecting uh, and how, how quickly you have to sort of time your deflections. Uh, because if you take just two or three hits or in some instances just one hit, you're going to die. And that's, that kind of... So, so the high death rate is going to be about the same, though, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and just like with all the other games, uh, when you die, you get penalized. But in this game, I think the penalty is both less severe and more severe, in that uh, the penalty for dying is you start to develop um, Dragon Rot, and it makes you take more damage, which isn't that big of a deal. Uh, and it also reduces the chance of getting this unforeseen, um, or uh, I forgot what it was called, but this, this guidance, this help from the gods, where, where you don't lose as much gold and as much skill points. That, that's another one of the penalties, right? You, you lose half of your gold that you've collected, uh, and, and a good chunk of your skill points. So that that also is bad. But altogether, those things aren't super bad. It's it's fine. You can recover your dragon rot, which will get uh, which will take out that damage 
debuff that you have on yourself. But the part that actually does uh, seems a bit too extreme is the fact that if you build up, build up too much Dragon Rock, it's going to affect the NPC characters that are in the game, and they'll start to get sick. And if you're if your Dragonrot develops too far along, those characters will die. And and whatever whatever story development elements or or yeah and whatever whatever elements that are tied to those characters, that's gonna be gone and, and now your your game your game session is now affected uh, forever by not having that particular NPC there uh, for the rest of the game. And that really sucks. I do not like that because in order to recover Dragon Rot, you have to use these key items, and these key items are limited. You can't. There's no way to farm these items throughout throughout the game, so you have to use them as sparingly as you can. And by doing that, it sort of prevents you, the player, from from having peace of mind, knowing that you can practice on enemies. And you can die over and over again. It's okay. Like, like the the worst thing is, yeah, it, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll lose skill points and I'll lose gold and I'll develop dragon rot, but eh, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. But when you start to lose NPCs and you only have a limited number of deaths at your disposal, that really affects the part of the of these types of games where. Uh, where you want to get better, so you're okay with dying a hundred times against a particular enemy if it means that you're going to now master that fight. In this game, that's not so much. Like every time you die, you're always worried. Like, oh, is my Dragon Rock going to develop even more, even more? Uh, and you're worried about like when when's the next time I'm going to get this one-time use item, this consumable item? When's the next time I'm going to get that so I can alleviate my Dragon Rock? And and even when I do that. Should I use it now? Should I wait? Should I take the risk and let an NPC die? So that part is not. I didn't. I don't care for that part of it. It seems like yeah. It, it does make it stressful, but not for good reasons because it it sort of gets in the way of wanting to fight enemies more often. Because when I see a group of enemies now, it's you know I think, do I want to just risk learning how to fight them better, or can I just run around them? And that used to never happen in the other From Software games, but in this one, I run around them. I'm spending more, I'm, I'm more cognizant of my deaths, and because of that, I'm trying to avoid unnecessarily hard fights for the sake of uh, spending those deaths on the fights that I do have to fight, the boss fights and, and the enemies that do drop these key items, right? And I, I need to sort of save budget i'm almost budgeting my deaths in this game and that's not a good feeling where you have to budget your deaths too much like real life yeah yeah a little bit yeah and uh the other part about this game is that i'm not i don't care too much for is the fact that it feels like they spent less time polishing the game overall as far as the the feel the the movement of your character and the combat system in itself. Um, in other games, it was okay to die because the controls were so spot on that you knew why you died because it was your own fault. You either placed yourself in a position in a bad position that led to your eventual death, or, or or some other way where you can sort of recognize like, oh, that's why I fall. 
But in this game, that's not the case. In this game, some of most of your, or I'd say probably about half of your deaths, it ends up being because something bad happened with the controls, where you hit a button that you weren't expecting the controls to go a certain way, or your character, you're you're dodging, trying to dodge back, but instead your character dodged forward. Like there, there were some weird quirkiness to the gameplay mechanics and in the character controls that just seemed odd for for a company that typically delivers on excellent controls and that was a bit of a let letdown um other other elements of this game that i just want to quickly touch on is the audio is fine and and the graphics and the scenery and the artwork is fine too it's just it seems like it's a little bit of a step down from the prior games as well especially bloodborne bloodborne the environments even though the fidelity of the visuals is better in this game uh bloodborne was more fantastical and there was more stuff thrown throughout these environments and more clutter and density uh of of just just objects and in details where you could sort of stop and look at things and really admire how things look in this one the environments are a bit bigger because your traversal is is just more enhanced and you can sort of you're going through the environments quicker so they sort of spread things out a bit more and the environments are a bit more open out i mean also i don't know if it's also based off a japanese feudal like type point in history. To be fair, East Asians tend to do have very minimalist like architecture in what's in their space. It's like only what's necessary. So maybe that's a reflection of that maybe? I don't know. I'm guessing. It that could very well be the case. Uh but it's yeah they have castle environments. Mm -hmm. And they could certainly put in more statues or or uh or just just like crates and boxes and like like not I'm not saying crates and boxes plenty of crates and plenty of barrels in this game it's just I'm saying things like that that help sort of make the place seem like it's more lively and lived in rather than just being this is a level this is these are this is your path through the level uh, um, more organic feeling environments this this game uh, the environments didn't feel organic or as organic uh, as immersive as the prior iterations. So overall, though, the game is still really, really good. It's just a little bit of a letdown if you are a fan of these types of games. Um, it's both harder and easier than their prior games as well. And it really, and that that kind of sucks because it really depends on the type of enemy you're coming across. Because there are some enemies that you can button mash on, and they are made. For you to just go up to and just whack away as many times as possible to break their posture so it, it becomes fighting them becomes a button masher you just button mash them and then they die and then there are other enemies where it's the exact opposite if you button mash on them you will die and that sort of creates this huge um deviation or, or this this huge variation uh variance between uh you know easiness of the game and hardness of the game where the hardest of the hard it's pretty hard it's up there with you know bloodborne and the hardest of the dark souls stuff definitely up there but the easier easy part of this game well it's it's exceptionally easy especially when you're stealthing around it's trivial you're just stealthing around to just very quickly kill an enemy and there's that's 
nothing's easier than that. So it's that that huge gap between easy the easy parts of the game and the hard parts of the game. It's just I think it's a little bit too big of a gap. So overall, it's um, as I said, still a great game, but it's not as good as the other From Software games. But if you're a fan of those games, you're going to be in for a good time. If you are a newcomer and are thinking about this one, I would say no. Um, uh, play maybe play some of the other games first to develop the skill set and then go into this one um, So there's that uh, I do give it a thumbs up though gets a thumbs up uh, This game also kind of butts heads with another game called Neo that came out a couple years ago and I couldn't say One way or the other as to which one is better the character controls and the combat in Neo is actually better than this game. However, this game obviously has way more interesting, um, has a better stealth mechanics, better environmental traversal, and uh, better level design, um, and a better story. Even though they're, you know, the story in these games are pretty hidden, at least the story in this game is easier to follow, makes more sense, <laughs> and is not just completely hogwash, throwaway stuff that was in Neo. So that's sort of where the two stand. I would probably lean more towards this one being the better game than Neo, but um, but they're both still great games, and this is, you know, a great game. Right. I love how immediately latched on to how much a jump button is a game changer in any, like, especially open world-based games. Like, I play, like, for me, like, though I don't play super hard games like Dark Souls, like, I play games like Kingdom Hearts and Legend of Zelda, and those those are my open world games of Final Fantasy, like, those are mine. Um, wow, I do play a lot of Square Enix games. Anyway, um, like, when they added jump buttons to those games, those were, like, the best thing ever. I spent, like, a good five minutes just making my character jump up and down, like, mm-hmm, up, 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 just because it was the first time I could. <laughs> Yeah, like, jump buttons are such game changers. Like being able to jump when you want to, you you don't think of that as being such an important mechanic. It can be. And it, that is an excellent point because I did not get that in this game, where just the jumping didn't feel good in this game. And yeah, for Breath of the Wild, like sure the jump is more like a little tiny hop, but it was important and it was executed so so uh, exactly in in a way. That worked very well for Breath of the Wild, but in this game, it's like you'll jump and and then you'll you'll do a straight up jump and then you'll hold forward and then jump and you'll you may do like a little hop or you might end up doing like a long jump because the controls are just not that spot on where you want it to be and that's that's a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. Think maybe it was released a little soon, or do you think that's just like a pro just something that was just a thing that would happen because of all the other things necessary to program into the game? I I think it's um, probably it got rushed, so a little soon. And I also think that it's the nature of working with an engine that is pretty dated. Um, because um, PlayStation especially just announced um, that essentially probably by next year there'll be a new system. Like, if you have a game that big, why wouldn't why wouldn't you buy barter your time and you know wait for these stronger systems? I feel like that's what Nintendo did. They made Breath of the Wild and realized how big it was gonna be, and they were gonna release it for the Wii, which they did. But ultimately, they were like, you know what? Let's hold off a little bit 
and release it properly when we release our new system that's going to have more processing power because it's such a big game. And you know what? It plays better on the Switch. And so I'm like, yeah, it was the smart choice to wait for the new system opposed to trying to hurry up and get it out. Now, especially since the game was already late. They were, they were already running over time. So they're like, well, you know what? New system. We'll make it more for this system than the old one. Late, late multiple times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> time with the Zelda game. I get it. It takes like seven years, if not more, to make them. And the more open world they make them, the longer it's going to take. So I'm not... Like, hell, I'm still waiting for that finished redoing of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> as soon as they announced that, I knew. I was like, you're not going to see this until 2020. I already waited almost 10 years for Kingdom Hearts 3, so it's, it's what it is. I'd rather it take longer and be a really awesome game, which so far all these games, when they did come out, they were awesome. Like, I am really enjoying um, Kingdom Hearts 3 so far. Um, and I really, oh my god, I played Breath of the Wild so much when it came out. I played, played and beat that twice. I don't think I couldn't finish with a Korox. I'm never, never going to finish that. Um, no. No. I got like 300 and something, and I was like, that's enough. Even with the mask, I'm like, yeah, no, no, I, I don't want to finish that. No, it gets tedious, and I'm like, the 900 was too many. It was too many. Well, I, I think it's they inserted that many in order, they without the intent of someone finishing all of them. I think it was more so they had that many because the rewards for cashing them in ended halfway through. Yeah. The, the the actual gameplay reward of, yeah, of expanding your inventory, right? Yeah. That was about halfway through, and that's all you needed. You know what you get when you finish it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Golden turd. Oh, he gives you a poop. He made a poop and painted it gold and gave it to you. That was so long. Like, that feels like such a screw you to the player. Like, like why? Why why did you give me poop? Well, it, it was... I think the reason why is to show that, hey, it wasn't about collecting. We didn't insert these Koroxies to collect the full 900. It was all about inserting them so that the frequency that you would encounter yeah. them was so so frequent. Yeah. Like they yeah. all have different methods in which to get them. There's different puzzles, and sometimes even the individual puzzles play out different ways. That part's fine. Some of those puzzles, you can kiss my butt, because some of them are ridiculous. Um, but... 900 is still a lot. Like, I don't think, like, I remember points in that game where I was coming across them, like, every couple seconds, and it was like, okay, come on. We don't need this many. All right, so uh, j just uh, go back to, <laughs> to Sekiro. Uh, so I played the game on PC, uh, and I, I would recommend playing on PC. That's probably the best place to play it. It uh, runs at the nice 60 frames per second, and you kind of need to have that smooth 60 frames per second frame rate in order to identify and, and to work best with the combat system. Uh, it's also available on uh, Xbox and on PS4, uh, but I would recommend playing on PC. Uh, it's probably fine on those other consoles as well, but definitely PC, when it comes to performance-wise, performed exceptional. No hitches, worked out well. So overall, thumbs up. And that'll be it for uh, for that and for the show, right? That is, that is all our reviews. Um, thanks for listening to the Geek Down. Hopefully next week we'll have all our hosts here. Yeah, uh, you can catch us on geek-down.com, also on twitch.tv slash thegeekdown, 
and visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thegeekdown. And there's a bunch of other places like SoundCloud and, and Instagram, I'm sure, and stuff like that. But I don't know what those are offhand. So uh, for now, yeah. for now, just uh, take it easy, I guess. Yeah, this has been Shana. And just Johnny. And thanks for listening. <laughs>